Hi, this is Mona, and this is Aaliyah. You are listening to A Devil's Tale. Welcome to our season two. Today we are going to be covering the story of the Naples Royal Massacre. King Birendra was born in 1945 in Narayanghiti Royal Palace in Nepal and was the oldest son of King Mahendra. Birendra spent most of his life studying abroad. In 1959, he was enrolled at Eton College in UK, one of the most prestigious institutions in the world. Birendra was described by his teachers as a kind prince. He was remembered by his classmates as a very, very nice guy who was embarrassed when his full title was read out loud at the school assembly. After studying at Eton until 1964, he returned to Nepal and began to explore the country by traveling on foot. He lived humbly with what was available in the villages and monasteries. He then completed his education by spending some time at the University of Tokyo before studying political theory at Harvard University. Birendra enjoyed traveling in his youth and went on trips to Canada, Latin America, Africa, many parts of India, and a number of other Asian countries. In 1990, a series of strikes and pro-democracy riots broke out in Nepal. Due to the riots. Birendra lifted the ban on political parties and agreed to become a constitutional monarch in April 1990. The new constitution would make Birendra head of state of a constitutional monarchy with a system of multi-party democracy. Birendra's wife Queen Ashwarya was born in 1949. She was from the Rana family, which had ruled Nepal for 104 years. Queen Ashwarya was energetic. Outspoken, beautiful, and incredibly intelligent, she arranged different social and cultural programs while in power. She also supported her husband in every steps of her life through various difficulties. She was a woman who could understand the need of the country and its people. She was also well known for her literary works and songwriting skills. Crown Prince Dipendra. King Birendra's oldest son was born in 1971. Like his father, he also attended the prestigious Eton College in his younger days. It was in England where he had met the love of his life. The young woman was from an Indian royal family. Her mother was Nepalese, and reportedly she was the perfect potential mate because of the heritage. Except one of her grandmothers had been a concubine rather than a full-fledged member of that family. There were also questions about her father's political alliance in India. Eventually, Queen Ashwarya refused to allow the marriage to take place. The story goes that the crown prince tried over and over to receive permission to marry, but his mother continually refused. So eventually, he decided he was so in love that he would give up the throne in order to marry. So he went to his girlfriend, told her his decision, and she said, "No, I want to be queen." She was prepared to marry him, but not under the circumstance of being outside the royal line. The relationship fell apart and left Dipendra heartbroken. 
Every first Friday of the month, King Birendra hosts a family gathering. The dinner party is for family members only. It has been a tradition for decades. On June first, two thousand one, at the Narayanhiti Palace, the then residence of the Nepalese monarchy, nine members of the royal family, including King Birendra and Queen Ashwarya, were killed in a mass shooting during the family dinner. A government-appointed inquiry team named Crown Prince Dependor as the sole perpetrator of the massacre. Here is the first-hand description of the massacre from the New York Times article by Dr. Rajiv Shahi, who is the Crown Prince's cousin-in-law. He says, "Dependor was really drunk when he arrived at the family's Friday dinner, and he began to stammer and quarrel. He was escorted to his personal quarters to sober up." In the meanwhile, King Birendra and the twenty or so other family guests had moved to a now-shaped drawing room, which contains a snooker table where they sat in small groups. Soon after, Dependra returned heavily armed, making his father his first target. Around 9 p.m., I heard a burst of gunfire. I thought it was somebody playing a prank. There was shouting, and I heard someone saying, "His Majesty has been shot." Being a doctor, I ran towards His Majesty. I took off my coat and pressed it against his neck where he was bleeding. He said, "I had been shot in the stomach also." Then Crown Prince briefly left the room, only to come back ready to renew the killing. King Brandor's youngest brother, Doctor Shahi's father-in-law, tried to stop Dependra. For that effort, he was shot at point-blank range in his chest by Dependra. At this point. He went wild and started shooting whoever came in front of him. During this massacre, Dependra ended up killing his father, King Birendra, his mother, Queen Ashwarya, his younger brother, his younger sister, his uncle, Prince Direndra, his two aunts, Princess Shanti and Princess Sharada, his uncle-in-law Kumar, and his dad's cousin, Princess Jayanti. Dependra also wounded four other royal family members. After the massacre, he walked onto the bridge in the royal garden and shot himself in the head. Even though he became a mass murderer, but by royal tradition, after the king dies, the crown prince automatically becomes the king. So Dependra was declared the king of Nepal while in coma after the death of his father. Dependra himself died in the hospital three days after the massacre without regaining consciousness. King Birendra's brother Jyotirindra then became the king. That's when things became really messy. When Dependra was in coma, Jyotirindra maintained that the deaths were the result of an accidental discharge of automatic weapons within the royal palace. Later, he said that he made this claim due to legal and constitutional hurdles, since under the constitution and by tradition. Dependor could not have been charged with murder as he survived. Also, Jyotirindra was the only family member who somehow didn't show up at this weekly dinner gathering on that Friday. His son Paras, who is also Dependor's cousin, was also one of the very few people who left the massacre unscathed. While the entire families of Birendra were killed, nobody in Jyotirindra's family died. Jinendra's son Paras, at this point, has become the new crown prince. He is very unpopular with the public. He was famous for reckless driving and had many hit and run cases on his record. 
A man with such tarnished reputation somehow was described to be a hero during the massacre. Paras used his own body to shield a group of women from Dipendra's potentially incoming bullets. Apparently, Paras was able to reason with Dipendra, which led the mass murderer to spare his life along with the group of women he was protecting. However, the public did not buy the story. If Dipendra was as delusional as he was described to be and had no mercy when killing his parents and his younger siblings, why would he ever listen to anyone else? There were other matters the public often questioned and wanted answers for. The victims' bodies were quickly cremated after the incident, and it seems no autopsies were conducted. Eyewitnesses pointing Dipendra as the sole perpetrator only started to show up after Giannandar rose to the throne. The public wanted to know where were the palace guards and aides. How did the right-handed Dipendra manage to shoot himself in the left temple? Why was Prince Ginandra, now king, absent from the dinner? And how did his son Paras also escape? In what way does India, regional boogeyman, figure into this treachery? All of these questions are still left unanswered to this day. There is a book titled Rakta Kunda, based on interviews of two palace maids who said the bodies of some of the royal family members were found elsewhere in the palace and not in the dining hall, whereas the Pandora was also cited as one of the first ones to have been shot. Pushpa, the chairman of the Nepalese Maoist Party, in a public gathering claimed that the massacre was planned by the India Intelligence Agency Research and Analysis Wing, or the American CIA. He and his party believes King Birendra's refusal to allow surveillance against China was the real cause of the attack. I want to conclude today's story by reading an excerpt from an interview with Larry Dinger, the American ambassador in Burma at the time the massacre happened. Some say this massacre was the pivotal point that ended monarchy in Nepal. With the killings of the royal family, chess pieces started to move, but it took a while before the moves concluded. Initially, the brother did become king. The brother had a son, Prince Paris, who, by all rumors, was not the kind of person you would want to have as the eventual replacement king. He had been reported to have committed all sorts of violent acts against others in nightclubs and elsewhere. He was reputed to be a just really nasty piece of work. No one wanted to see him end up being king, which may have contributed to the end of the dynasty eventually. Various civilians were already playing roles in the government: the Nepalese Congress Party, Marxist-Leninists of various sorts. They all had to calculate how to move, particularly in light of the Maoists out there fighting. The royal army also was in the mix, but there wasn't an immediate dramatic change in the state of governance while I was there. Interestingly, a prophecy from years and years ago had forecast that the kings of Nepal would last only a certain number of generations. I think it might have been twenty, and this was the twentieth—an accurate prediction, I would say. Between the Maoists and the royal succession, and the sense that something had to change, Nepal eventually removed the monarchy and is still working out its democratic future. After that king, it just dissolved because they didn't want the son to take over. I think Birendra, the king that got killed. I wouldn't say he willingly helped Nepal going to democracy, but when the people really wanted it, he eventually gave in and said okay. 
So what ended up happening is his brother took the throne, and immediately his brother wanted absolute power. So he kind of disrupted the democracy. There were communist parties, and there were Indian political parties because they're so close to each other.、Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there is the royal family. They had a new constitution, so all of these political forces were trying to figure out, oh my God, what are we doing right now? There is so much going on in the world that has just missed me. I mean, we were young. We were very young. But I remember nine eleven. I remember nine eleven too. I mean, I wasn't in the states yet. I remember coming home that day, and every station was replaying that video over and over again from different angles, zoomed in, zoomed out, and just so that image just like burned into my head. It's crazy. It's it's interesting, like what comes in and what lingers in the news channels, and what we completely don't see. Like I feel like even with this insurrection. I don't feel like I'm seeing the images or anything anymore. That's why it's weird when we hear all these stories that happened so recently internationally. I mean, that's part of the reason I thought this would be fun. I think for us and for everyone else too. Like besides true crimes, there are certain stories that's gonna be connected to the political or cultural aspect of the different culture. I'm sure there are Americans too who go on vacation there and then they're just like, "What? I have no idea." Well, the truth is. Nepal really isn't far from where I'm originally from, and it's just funny. I literally know nothing. I don't either. It's so terrible. It's so terrible. But you know, we're learning. We're learning just like everyone else. <laughs> I'm glad we're covering these types of stories, though, because I'm definitely learning a lot. Yeah, me too. I was like, royal family massacre. Can you imagine if this? Happened to the British royal family. Yeah, and then the monarchy just disappearing. No, I could not imagine that. I was twelve when I found out that Japan has a royal family. I was so shocked. What? I didn't know either. The thing is, I think the British royal family obviously has the most money, and they live in the most、yeah. glamorous palace. The Japanese royal family, I think they actually don't get that much money from the public, and they do have to do a lot of charity appearances, all these things that the royal family is supposed to do. I remember one of them decided to not quit, but like retire early because he was so tired. Oh my god! So it sounds like they have to do a lot of work. They do have to do a lot of work, and they are definitely not living glamorously or anything. I mean, obviously, they don't have to worry about putting bread on their table. But just compared to other royal families, they are definitely more low key for sure. Now I want to go into a deep dive into the royal family history. I think there's a lot of gossip there too. I know one of the queen wasn't that nice to her daughter-in-law, who I think was also the first civilian marrying into the royal family. To all of our listeners, welcome to our season two, and we're excited to bring you new content. Just like season one, we will bring you true crime stories from Asia. We will also include mini episode of Asian urban legends and folklores. As before, you can write to us on Instagram at a devil's tale or email us at a devil's tale at gmail dot com. Thank you so much for tuning in again, and we will see you next time.